right, welcome to Prop Talk, episode number two. This is Pointing Guns and Pointing Fingers, uh, how and why the Rust tragedy should have been prevented and the lessons we must learn. I'm Chris Kahn, I'm the Education Chair for the PMG, the Property Masters Guild, uh, and I'm hosting today's episode. I want to start off first by acknowledging uh, uh, a couple people, one being Paul Baker, filmmaker in front of all Prop Masters for composing and performing uh, the intro music that you just heard. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I said, give me a uh, vibe from like a uh, uh, stranglehold. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, uh, let's say I also want to thank the uh, PMG board and all the members who share their opinions, advice, and expertise in the direction they gave us as well um, for this podcast. And for all those who offered to come on the podcast, um, I wish we could have everybody on, but uh, we're just getting started, and uh, there's a lot of subjects in this craft, and uh, we want to get into it with a lot of people with a lot of different uh, episodes coming up. Um, before I introduce the panel, also I want to encourage listeners, um, because you know we're trying to uh, uh, up our uh, our profile for the PMG, the newly formed PMG. So there's a website for us. It's called propertymastersguild.org. Please check it out. There's a lot of information there. And uh, bear with us because it's a work in progress and uh, we're constantly uploading new material, but um, there's a lot there. Um, so I'm going to start off with uh, introducing everybody. So first of all, we have uh, Mike Trudell, who is our engineer and producer as well yeah <laughs> and uh go ahead mikey he, mike's uh he's a property master himself um he's uh here representing the new the new property masters the new generation of property masters i should say yeah yeah i probably uh i, pro I started union prop mastering maybe seven or eight years ago so I mean, recently, I think two years ago, I bought my trailer and started to move into the bigger shows and stuff like that. And I'd say, like, I'm within the past two years now full time prop master. So very fresh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you have some gun experience with some of your shows too, right? You do American um, Horror. Yeah. And, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have a little bit, uh, uh, a good amount of gun experience and stuff like that too. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, then we also have uh, Larry Zanoff, our resident uh, weapons expert. And uh, lead set armor er at uh, Independent Studio Services, uh, Larry. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I've been doing uh, armory work in the motion picture business for almost 25 years now. Um, 25 great years, and let's let's hope there's 25 more to go. Excellent. And then we also have in the room here t with us today uh, Eugene McCarthy, um, also a PMG member. Uh, I should mention that uh, Mikey is also part of the PMG as well. Um, Eugene and I go way back. Mm -hmm. We did a uh, a movie years and years ago in Pittsburgh when I worked there. Um, ninety two, I believe. Ninety two. So uh, yeah, Eugene, tell us a little bit about your experience. And your um, I've been a prop master for almost forty years. Um, I'm kind of in the process of retiring currently. I haven't worked in a, in a while, which has been different yeah. <laughs> uh and uh i've just i have always been a collector and uh, always been very much drawn to objects and the, the things they represent and the the tasks that they perform um and so it's a it's no wonder that i became a property master nice 
And then we also have the treat of having uh, Diana Burton from New York City and Local 52 with uh, IATSE with us. Um, she's uh, calling in. She's here. Um, Diana, um, you did Sopranos, so yeah. <laughs> you have a yeah, special hi. place hi, in my heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I have been a member of Local 52 for, you know, and a prop master for almost 30 years. And, um, you know, I've handled guns on many, many shows. Uh, in addition to The Sopranos, I've done uh, Terminator Genesis with my friend Larry <laughs> and also, um, you know, The Born Legacy. Um, you know, I, I did the Ninja Turtles also. There were weapons, but not quite the same. So it's really <laughs> nice to be here. Thank you, guys. Excellent. Well, great. You know, so there's a lot to talk about with this subject, as Larry's very well aware. Um, but I want to start off with, I mean, again, we could talk about rust all day long, but I want to talk about just general gun safety uh, as well, not just how it relates to this tragedy, but just in general in the industry. Um, but because of the rust tragedy, it's in the news everywhere. And so my question to you guys, to the panel is, you know, what do you think that the media has gotten wrong? And also, what are they missing? So I want to start with you on this one, Larry. Well, I think the the number one thing that the media has gotten wrong is uh, when this horrible tragedy happened, they've portrayed it like you're taking your life in your hands, just stepping onto a movie set. Yeah. And that's not the case, you know, um, for everything that goes on on a movie set. If you if you look at it in detail, we are actually extremely safe within our industry. We are way lower on average for on-work injuries than most other industries that are out there. Um, and I feel that the media is not portraying that accurately. Um, we have been doing this in the American film industry since 1903. And the Great Train Robbery, which was the first great blockbuster, if you will, was a show full of firearms right, right? it was right. a western and there was all kinds of gunfire going on there there have been millions if not billions of rounds of blanks fired very safely um as diana pointed out we did uh, terminator genesis together and there were many challenges on that and safety was always the guiding light and and prop masters like eugene and yourself chris and you know, you in the future too, Mikey, uh, you know, we, we can do this safely. We know how to do it. And then the other thing that I think that they've portrayed incorrectly because invariably things like the Brandon Lee incident and the John Eric Hexham incident always come up because right. of, of the connection with firearms. They're forgetting that the incidences with firearms injury or fatalities in our industry are less than 1%. There are way more people getting injured and way more fatalities from falls, electrocution, other things, trains, right, unfortunately. Yeah. Yes. Um, in fact, in the last, since 1994, there have been 43 deaths in the American film industry. 23 of those were the results of helicopter crashes. Mm. So when you're looking at true percentages compared to other industries, compared to other shows and historically and all that, the number of firearm incidences is, is so extremely low, uh, but it's got kind of a, 
an emotional element, a political element, and it looks good in a headline. And so sure. that's what the general public is seeing. And they don't see the efforts that we put in on a daily basis, day in, day out, how important safety is and everything, because they're not on a movie set. And let's face it, if you've never been on a movie set before, there's no way you can comprehend what what it's like working on a movie set. Yeah, exactly. And, and for me... Part of the media coverage of this is that it's so salacious. It seems to me to be about Alec Baldwin, okay, and and that's mm. really what they want to talk about. And everything's a soundbite. You know, you get thirty-five seconds to say what you need to say, and nobody seems to be really interested in getting into the hows and whys that this happened and that and how we could prevent it from happening again. And uh, this is also why we're here today because we I wanted to do a deeper dive as to sure you know, what we need to do about it and and alec baldwin being a high profile actor yeah uh being involved in this of course is a draw for the headlines right. and everything but the reality is did he pull the trigger did he not pull the trigger none of that matters right the only thing that matters is how did a live round get on to set and why was it not identified as a live round prior to the incident exactly that's, that's really all that matters Yes. So, um, and again, I mean, we could talk about that in, in the things that led up to that um, happening as far as like there being live ammo on the set. Again, you know, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are in the, in the industry and maybe property masters, but there are a lot of people who are going to be listening to this who don't know anything about the gun safety and, sure. the, and the extreme um, of events that happen. Um, so I want to start off just by reiterating safety bulletin number one. So there's an industry-wide labor management safety committee that put out, and this is 2003, you said, right, 2003. Larry? 2003. 2003, and the number, and there's several. I mean, how many number bulletins so, are there? There's so currently there's about 45 or 46 safety bulletins. When you add in, there's like safety bulletin number 5A and number 5B and all that. When you add in all the addendums, there's about 66 safety bulletins out there that cover everything from firearms to animals on set to what do you do if you're skydiving and you're filming. Uh, so every subject is covered. And when something comes up that we see that there's a hole in it, right. there's another safety bulletin that gets written and added to the roster. Right. And number one on this safety bulletin is about blanks and blank ammunition. And in it, it says live ammunition is never to be used nor brought onto any studio lot or stage. So that's number one. So they violated number one right from the get-go. Right. Um, and again, we could talk about how most of the time, the vast majority of the time, 99.9% .9 of the time, these bulletins are adhered to. Um, and in this case, and in the case in uh, um, North Carolina with the Brandon Lee episode, they were not. And the common denominator is inexperienced people handling mm -hmm. weapons. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, Diana, I mean, I want you to also speak to, like in New York, there are different safety protocols um, concerning weapons than there are in Los Angeles and um, also the rest of the country, which is another thing that we need to talk about, how the safety... Actually, the rest of the world. New, New York is its, its own kind of entity. Right. 
Yeah, in, in New York, all, all of the weapons that we use here um, are um, modified, so they can't even chamber a live round, nor fire one. So mm -hmm. in, in handguns in particular, that this couldn't even happen. It wouldn't, you wouldn't even be able to load live ammo into the weapons that we use in New York, thankfully. And even the long arms have a little bit of um, restrictions in them. But um, like handguns, we can take them out because we have our, our New York state license. That's how you know, prop masters can have them. But you'd need a special long arm, arm permit to use long arms in New York. So we always need an armorer. So, you know, I, it, there are, you know, we follow these, these laws very, very carefully. All of us do. All of the professionals are, are always going to follow the protocols. So really what we need to talk about is how to keep the people who, the non-experts from getting hired and how to train producers to not, you know, if they can't afford a, a, a professional, then they should not do it or they should do it CGI. Like we have to move in that direction. Right. I, I agree. And I think that that's another. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, we got to recognize that no matter how many safety bulletins we write and, the, and safety bulletin number one. And I think it's important that the number one safety bulletin does deal with firearms. It's the very first. It's, it's one of the more important ones. But all of the safety bulletins have one very, very apparent weakness one flaw in them, and that is they're no good if you don't follow them. Right. And that mm. speaks to the professionalism that, that Diana just brought up. The production is the employer. It is the responsibility of the employer to provide a safe working environment for their employees. We, the crew and the cast, are the employees. And training is important and all that, but what what Diana touched on, which is kind of a vetting process, making sure that right. you hire the right people for the right job. You don't go out and hire the least expensive helicopter pilot to do a stunt on your movie because that can lead to bad things, right? Right. Uh, it's the same with, with armorers or, as we had mentioned earlier, people who are near train tracks or right. anyone who has a responsibility for safety should be a true professional who has been vetted by the production and it's it's not a matter of cutting corners or money and things like that right and so do we think that this is this a uh, uh, new incident will you know get them to actually address this issue i mean and and again this doesn't happen in los angeles in new york very often this seems to be a regional problem because it's kind of mm -hmm. the wild west out there and i speak from that because i came from the wild west i mean i came from a secondary market i did 10 years in uh, dallas and pittsburgh before coming to los angeles and it was kind of like the wild west you know and then there's these mixed locals that they have out mm -hmm. there now which is you know a grip could be a grip one day and he could be a property master the right. next day and I think that that's another thing that... And they're a lot easier to get into. To yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. when I lived in Pittsburgh, a movie would roll into town and it's like you got on that job in any capacity you could get in on. And um, and I think that that's, uh, that's part of the problem. But I think it's also partially people taking jobs that they're not qualified to do. Right. Yeah. Uh, because they, they need to fill all of those positions. And... Uh, regardless of how much the person is paid it it we need to 
teach people to not that you don't have no one knows everything right and you shouldn't take a job where you are responsible for actions that you don't fully understand or know how to control sure but if you're 24 and you really want to get in the film business mm -hmm. and you know and somebody's making you an offer you know chances are good they're going to go for it so i think the fail safe needs to happen again as larry says from the top down mm -hmm. and, I th and i think one thing that's really important to recognize um we need to look at this based on the tsa model when an airplane falls out of the sky because something went wrong, it's a horrible tragedy and, and 300 people could, could lose their lives. But we don't start, stop flying. Right. We examine the situation. We try to figure out where the hole was in the safety procedures. We write new procedures and we move on because no matter how good safety bulletin number one is, there's always room for improvement. So that's the way that this situation needs to be approached as well. And to answer your question, it is being approached that way there are changes that are being uh, looked at and things that are being improved a lot of it has to do with um, increasing or making certain trainings mandatory yes. uh, the reason that these things don't happen in new york and in la is because we have very strong unions that have training regimes and they enforce you can't you can't step onto a union set here in la unless you've gone through all of the contract services training classes you can't even be on the roster and be eligible and so um by spreading that regime to, like you said, secondary markets, that in and of itself will be a huge leap as far as safety goes because of the training. Is, is this safety bulletin national or is it specific to California? So these safety bulletins are put out by the safety committee, the industry safety committee. They are online. They are primarily written for union members and union crews, but they are available to everyone. So all you have to do is, is type in a search for industry safety bulletins and the CSATF bulletins come up and you can download them. And that, again, is part of the tragedy, which is they were not following a guideline that was readily available to them. Right. Uh, on the rust set so it's more of a cross industry standard it is considered the motion picture and television standard whether you're union or non-union it really doesn't matter this is the only and best written guideline again for everything from race cars to scuba diving to firearms anything that you're doing on a television or motion picture set um so i do want to address and talk about the young property master out there. Because again, you know, we were talking about earlier before we started recording about how we're all veterans of the industry. We know how to stand up to a producer or a director who's asking us to do something that's unsafe. It's never a fun place to be, um, but we know what the consequences are. So I want to talk about how we can empower property masters in particular to to do that, to be able to understand what their responsibility is and to be able to uh, speak to power and, and to take the guns if you need to and put them on the truck and lock them up and say, I'm sorry, but we're not going to go forward until we address these yeah. issues. And I think something that Eugene brought up uh, before is, is the key to this. First of all, we have to recognize that we're all adults. 
and and we're taking responsibility when someone says they're going to offer you a paycheck to go out and perform a job you your obligation is to do the job to the best of of your ability if you're not qualified for that job or you're not capable of doing that job you shouldn't accept the offer it's just the way it is as um, to attest to that though we i mean this doesn't fall under this category specific but we do work in a very fake it till you make it industry right and a lot of like you like i the first network television show i took i didn't feel even close to ready to take it but i took it on and i figured it out and by the time that job ended i felt way more confident than when i went in granted weapon safety is not something i would ever even go near when you bring other lives into the matter you know what i mean (laughs) right but i think too that the fact that you know, you may have not felt qualified to take it on at that time. The end result proves that you actually were capable and probably yes. qualified to do it. Right. Um, and sought out expertise that you didn't have exactly. yourself. Exactly. Yes. You know, I, I just think people have to be honest with themselves when they're when they're taking sure. something on. And as a prop master position, if you don't have that firearms knowledge or, right. or expertise or experience, that's why you hire a motion picture armorer uh, to do that. Um, the other thing uh, that I think as far as empowering people, it, it's the training. Right. It, it exactly. truly is. Yes. You know, um, I, I used to work in, in law enforcement many, many years mm-hmm. ago and had to take uh, a class in identifying controlled substances and you get a little dropper and some chemicals and you can do all these things these little tests well the class itself made you do 14 different tests right so once you walked out of the class you already had experience you had 14 Mm -hmm. different practical tests that you did and i think that's what we need to raise the level of training as far as firearms uh, knowledge and expertise in our industry too right and this is something that you're currently doing is that right larry you're you are traveling around the country and doing yeah i mean uh we we at independent studio services um were wound up in a very unique situation right after the rust uh uh incident on october 21st 2021 a date which will be (laughs) seared into my brain for all eternity um and it was that we had everyone from law enforcement agencies to different government agencies to uh, training regimes within the industry, different unions, they all seemed to come to us for recommendations and suggestions. And we had to kind of play Switzerland, to be honest with you, because some of the people that were coming in for suggestions were, were in totally opposition to some of the other people. And we just gave the most fair, kind of unemotional, responses uh, that we could we were training different IATSE locals around the country prior to the rust uh, incident but I will say that that the uh, momentum of that has has increased uh, significantly since October 21st of 2021 well that's great and and I think that this is something that hopefully we can compel the union to take on and I know that the PMG the property masters guild were that is something that we're committed to doing as well because it it is it's something that is missing out there I mean I know that 35 years ago when I got into the business and I in again in Pittsburgh and I had to handle weapons I I was amazed that I could just like 
asked for weapons and they gave them to me and I yeah. literally had to sit on my trailer and I'm like, oh, this is red safe or is it not safe? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, you know, and I had to train myself. I mean, fortunately, I grew up with uh, a father who was a hunter and I was familiar with guns. But it, it is kind of on-the-job training, and it, it's, yeah. a, it's a little unnerving. I, mean, I do want to point out one other thing, Chris, based on something that you, you actually brought up. Uh, in the 25 years that I've been on set, uh, I walked off set once. Right. Okay. Okay. And, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about having the you know, professionalism, intestinal fortitude, whatever you want right. to call it, right. to not in a form of an argument or shrieking and yelling with sure. a producer and AD, but having a conversation with an AD and saying, look, I, I understand what you're getting, right. you're trying to get at, this is a good way to do it, we can't do it that way because of safety yes. restrictions. Uh, and in this particular case, I finally said, look, I figured it out, I've got the solution, and the solution is I'm taking all my toys and going home, <laughs> and you can do this with someone else because the, the basic safety precautions are not being followed. And this was decades before Rust, I'll, right, I'll, right. I'll tell you. And, and I will tell you, you know, for the young prop masters that are out there too, when you're in that situation, I rolled away from there thinking to myself, oh, my God, what did I do? Right. I'm never going to work in this town right. again. I got to go back to the shop. I got to check in the guns. The production's going to be all all upset and everything. And what actually happened was by the time I got, we were, we were filming up on top of a hilltop. By the time I got down to the bottom of the hill, they had a PA waving me down saying, please go back up. They said they're going to do it the way you suggested. Excellent. I, I went back up there, and I still thought, they're just trying to get through the night. They're right. going to fire me in the morning, believe me, because <laughs> you know because I threatened to, to walk away. And they didn't. I finished right. out the show another two weeks. And any time after that that there was any question or problem, they went, everybody stop. Go get the armor. Whatever he says, that's what we're going to right. do. So it comes down to professionalism. Training yeah. gives mm -hmm. you the um, – Agency. Yeah, it gives you the agency. I myself, I can almost quote safety bulletin number one right. verbatim. I carry it digitally on my phone. So when I have to have a discussion with an AD, I can bring it up on my screen and just say, no, look, it's it's not me making this up. Right. Here yeah. is the industry standard. It's like and your this Miranda is what warning. We, yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm. um, so, so I think that's important. Training gives you the confidence that you're capable of doing certain things. Yeah. Or you wind up being a prop master that says, I never want to touch a gun. I'm just right. always going to hire an armorer. But you don't know that until you get the training. So I think that's a really important that, point. And that's such an important point because it's something that I talk to other property masters, young property masters about as well, which is you can't look at yourself and your position like you're just another cog in the machine. You know, you're below the line. You have to be a collaborator yes. with producers and you have to present yourself that way so they they respect you. And again, it's not about stamping your feet and saying this isn't, you know, we're not doing it this way or whatever, but it is having a, a logical conversation with them because again, they're under a lot of pressure. They're under a lot of pressure to make their day. And in the case of rust, I mean, I mean, we could talk that that was a mess from the top to bottom and that's really a different thing altogether. Yeah. But, uh, but in a normal situation, they do appreciate that, expertise that you bring if you when you stand your ground and make them understand i mean i had to do that on a set in south carolina years ago where and it was actually not f long after the brandon lee incident 
where they wanted to fire a rifle what, what I thought was too close to the actor. And, and I talked to him about, you know, going off angle, don't point it right at the, direct, at the actor. And um, they were like, oh, it's far enough away, it's gonna be fine. And I had to do the whole thing where you pull the piece of paper out and you yep. hold the gun up to the piece of paper and blow a hole through it with the gunpowder for them to understand it. And at the end of the day, we changed it. And, and I've heard this many times from prop masters where th- after it's all done, the actor comes up to him and says, thank you Absolutely. very much. Yeah. Yeah. And I had the same thing with a shotgun, where where they they thought we could get a lot closer than I thought was safe, uh, and they said no, no, it'll be fine. And so I went on and hung up a newspaper in my truck and shot it and came out and showed it to the actor and the director and the AD all at the same time. Right. And they all agreed, okay, we're not going to do that because it was full of holes. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's yeah. just and that sort of a concrete example is a really good thing. I mean, you can't you can't uh, a lot of times it's it's very difficult to convince someone that you are right and they are misguided. Right. Uh, but if you can show them an, an actual physical object that will show you what would happen to the actor if this happened, then it, it, it seems like a very effective way. During my safety weapons course, they did it with a red Gatorade bottle with liquid in it, yeah. and <laughs> that did the trick. Very impressive, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it was like, oh, my God, <laughs> to how much like it actually does explode right, <laughs> and do yeah. all this stuff. It has a bunch of little holes in it. Well, yeah. you know, again, if you look at the safety bulletin, there is a 20-foot minimum safety distance, which is the industry standard. Every box of blanks should have a label on it that says blanks are dangerous within 20 feet. The safety bulletin covers that. It doesn't actually mention 20 feet in the safety bulletin but what it does say is as a prop master or the armorer on set you are obligated to follow all manufacturers safety recommendations so you have a box of blanks the recommendation on it is minimum safety distance 20 feet you are obligated to follow that and that is actually not an industry standard that's federal law. Hmm. When when you when you buy a product and there's there's manufacturers oh, that gets into consumer protection exactly, oh. and and you you know don't don't remove this label off the mattress mm-hmm. you, you know kind of thing. <laughs> right. That that's what it is. You are obligated to follow manufacturers' recommendations, and if you don't, as in you fire a gun at nineteen and three quarters feet away, and something bad happens, it's on you. You know, it, it you didn't do your job correctly. And one thing I did want to touch on that you, that you brought up earlier about an armor specifically, mm-hmm. as far as being the person to command the respect from production and show production that right. that's, that's who you are. Um, I practice this myself, and I encourage our armors when we send them out, you know, you are the person who is supposed to be instilling confidence right. in the cast and the crew. You can't be a quiet little wallflower who stands on the side. You could be as technically proficient right. as anyone. It matters not. You need to be able to like to stand. You know, have you ever stood in a set? You walk on. You're a day player, and you stand there for five minutes, and you go, "Okay, that person's the director." Right. You know immediately. Right. right? Body language. They're given orders and all that. You should be able to do the same thing with the armor. You should be able to stand on set for five minutes, look around, and go, "Okay, that person." is the one that I want to ask all the firearms right. you know, questions to. And if that's not the armor that you have on set, then you need to find a new armor. Exactly. Which brings up another point for me. Again, uh, coming from a property master's perspective, um, I personally believe uh, that the property master should be 
given the uh, responsibility of at least hiring the armorer. Oh, yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of, again, I think with a lot of the newer generation, they don't know guns, they don't want to know guns, and so the producer's like, all right, I'll hire the property or the uh, armorer. But I think that the, again, the property master should still, I mean, because they're the ones who have to acquire the weapons, and I just don't want us as a craft to give up that uh, command of the props. Um, So... A, 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 fi- a firearm is a prop. Right. That's yeah. what we use it for in our industry. And the prop master is responsible for all props. Right. If you don't have the expertise about a fifty caliber machine gun, that's why you hire an armor mm-hmm. to come out. But you're still issuing the PO for that right. machine gun. You're talking to the actors. You're the one in the production meeting with pro- you know the producers and the directors. And so... It's a prop, and it should always be in in the realm of the property master. It's the same as anything that you hire a technician for that you exactly. don't have the knowledge for. And I don't have a problem if someone, uh, if you know the the lead in the show has done lots and lots and lots of gun movies, and they want this armor that they've worked with before. Sure. Or the producer, or the director, or the stu- if the studio has someone that they won't hire that right. you want to use or whatever. I think that's all fine, but you just you have to make sure that the property master and the and whoever it is that is the armor can work together, and, right. ha- and have 100%. a working relationship of respect for each Absolutely. other, and and everyone do their job, and we'll all you know, and everything will be great. And that does happen sometimes where production will hire an armor, maybe even before they've hired the prop master. Exactly. But my point is, at the end of the day, the final say needs to remain with the property master. I agree. Because that is the structure of yes. our industry going back more than 100 years. Right. It's proven. It works well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the way it needs to be. Right. And the, and again, the property master is in charge of that set from an artistic standpoint as soon as the cameras start rolling. I mean, and I have had this you know, recently working on a film, and I'm not going to go and start naming names, but it, it I did inherit an armor on a show and I was warned about the armor that I was inheriting and, and there was and it wasn't a, a discussion it was like that's who the armor is going to be this is who the director wants to be the armor and you're going to have to work with that armor and I had to watch him like a mm-hmm. hawk okay and there were several instances that were sketchy and I and I continue and you know and at the end of the day everything was fine but there were some things that if I wasn't on top of it, it could have gone south. And and there are situations, and we've we've all been in them, where it's a political hire or whatever right. you want to call it, and that's fine. And you can watch them, and you can work with them. But the minute it comes to safety, I don't care who production hires. Right. You know, if you're the prop master or the armor working under the prop master, and you see something that is a safety breach. Absolutely. Then all those political hires, as far as I'm concerned, go out the window. It matters not anymore. Right. Now this is a, a what brings us. I hope I don't want to direct the discussion. Yeah, but please do. I think it's fascinating that there is uh, in the Rust uh, world that there is so much attention and mention of uh, Hannah Gutierrez Reed and none of Sarah. Zachary. Right. Yeah. You've right. never heard her name, and I I yeah. don't know why that I th- is. I think it's what we're talking about. They hired this property master, told her that she's going to have an armor who's also going to be her assistant, mm-hmm. 
And then that property master, having no gun experience, was more than willing to just turn it over to right. this uh, armor who also had very little experience. And okay, which is all being dictated by the producers, in my opinion. Okay, you know, so um, again, we could get into the nuts and bolts of what went down there, but you know, and I also want to get into the responsibility that actors. What are the responsibilities of actors with guns on set? and especially actors who carry producer credits. I think that it's two different people. Yeah. I, I think the actor is is almost indemnified because they're actors, and they have a lot of different things they're thinking about, and they, you, they right. have to trust that you are going to show them how to do this safely. But when you are the producer, you are the one who, who stands on the site uh, as I read an article that described when they went a year or so before they started shooting and they went and stood on the site and, and everybody got all excited and they were going to do this movie. And at that time, they agreed that they could make this movie that should cost $10 million for eight. Right. And so that, and that is the culpability. That, that, and so we'll have to cut corners and everybody will have to tighten their belts a little bit and... So right. we'll have to fire someone or hire someone who is not qualified for the job. Right. And that comes from the, the classic definition of a producer. But then when we get into actors with producer credits, it's a whole different ballgame. We, we all know it. We've seen it before where an actor, they get a producer credit. They're not hiring. They don't have any – they're not mm -hmm. involved in the hiring of the crew in any way, shape, or form. But the question becomes, given what's happened – is that something that's okay? I mean, should they be held accountable if they're going to have a producer credit? You know, and for me, somebody who is a famous actor and the lead on a film, they have a lot of power to be able to protect a crew. Okay, and again, in this Russ incident, you know, there was a lot of things that were going on on that set that were wrong. Yes, everything wasn't going smooth every single day until Not that at all. day. Right. Not there, at was, all. there were guns being left out and unsecured. That's right. and there were people walking out, the crews, the whole camera department walked the morning of. I mean, there were a lot of things that went down. Again, do I think that that makes Alec Baldwin criminally liable for what happened? No, but I think on a, on a philosophical level, he has the, and all actors have, or at least leads, have the agency to be able to say you know what this isn't safe mm -hmm. and i don't want myself or my crew to be put in this situation so we have to do something about it or i'm not gonna work today and mm -hmm. there are actors who have done this i've heard stories of it before i've seen it happen mm -hmm. okay so again that's another thing that i hope comes out of this you know that actors even though i want them to be able to not have to think about their weapon they have a lot to do. They have a lot on their mind. They're creating their character. They should be able to know that they're being handed a gun that is safe. But they should also make sure that it's safe. Mm -hmm. Okay, if it's not being done, if somebody is not giving them, showing them that it's clean, they should step up and say, hey, wait a minute. Don't you want to clear that weapon with me? Right? I mean, mm -hmm. what do you guys think about all that? Well, and the, the, my main objection to that whole thing is is the AD walking in and giving the actor the weapon. That is insanity. That is just, I've never heard of such a thing, that the, the weapons would be left unsecured and he could pick it up off a table 
and walk in and show it to the actor. Right. So, you know, the the New Mexico law enforcement report that was finally submitted right. to uh, the district attorney uh, several weeks back is 500 plus pages long. And if you read every single one of those pages, uh, first of all, like Eugene pointed out, there were many other things happening on this set. Right. It, it wasn't like this was the single anomaly that, that mm -hmm. happened as far as a safety breach. Um, and if you look back at the John Eric Hexham incident and you look back at the Brandon Lee incident, there was also an incident in 2017 where a gentleman named Johan Offner died in, in Australia because of um, misuse of a firearm and trying to make homemade blanks uh, uh, out of shotgun yeah. shells. These kind of incidences, or even a stunt that goes wrong, they happen because of a series of things. It's right. not one mm -hmm. single thing. It's a series of events that every time you have the choice to go right or left, right or wrong, they're continuing to veer towards the wrong side. Um, safety bulletin number one, to some extent, addresses that in that it says, even though the responsibility is on the property master or someone designated by the property master, in other words, the armorer, but yet anyone, actor, camera person, other crew member who is in, in the vicinity of the firearm has the right to inspect the firearm. Yeah, it's absolutely. not a responsibility, It's as, at least not as spelled out in safety bullet number one, but they have the right to say, hey, could you show me that again? Right. Uh, could you, you know, hey, you're showing me this, but I don't know what I'm looking at. Could right. you explain that to me again? That ability is there. I regularly would, after showing the actors and the director and the DP and the people who are right close to what was going on, that the gun was safe, I would always say to the, the hundred crew there, anybody who wants to come and look at this, come exactly. on. Exactly, right. There's n there is never anything but benefit from everyone who is feeling any kind of nervousness about it to look at the weapon and have it explained to them that why this is a safe weapon. Right, and then to answer the second part of your question, Chris, when you have someone, in this case it's an actor, who's also getting a producer's credit, mm -hmm. for whatever reason, to me it goes back to the question of, if you're really not qualified for the job, you shouldn't take it as a prop master. Here, if you're a producer and you're getting a credit, you should be doing the job that's expected of a producer. It's, it's you know, there's reasons in our industry why that happens, um, but they may not be good reasons. And, and so to me, like you said, from a philosophical point of view, if you're going to get the credit on the credit roll, you should be doing whatever job a producer is supposed to be doing, which, like we said, the production is the employer. The employer is responsible for creating a safe working environment for the cast and the crew. And this was habitually not happening on the Rust set. And clearly, I mean, everyone must everyone that was anywhere near that set must have known about the numerous uh, unintended discharges, I yes. think is how they right. call it. And I don't know what that means. Yeah, so um, the, the correct term is negligent discharge. Uh, both both in the uh, law enforcement world and in the military world, there is no such thing anymore as an accidental discharge. It's a negligent discharge. That's an excellent use of yeah. that and, word. And <laughs> it's called an ND. You've had an, a negligent discharge. Um, 
guns do not just go off on their own. Exactly. Yeah. I I I'm I'm I just turned 58. I can honestly say that I've been dealing with guns. I used to sit at five years old. I used to sit at the kitchen table with my father, may he rest in peace, and help him clean his guns. I've been dealing with guns my entire life. In 58 years, I have never seen a gun jump off a table <laughs> all by itself right. and do something. It's usually because of operator error and, and things like that. So, you know, th- these are these are things we have to take to heart. These are things we have to, Absolutely. you know, really, you know, look at. Eugene mentions the negligent discharges. There were two of them the week prior to the incident, as well as a special effects explosion went off when it wasn't supposed to go off. So there were three different right. what you would call safety breaches that occurred. And some of the crew members, that you, as you had mentioned, Chris, and it's outlined in the report, um, they wrote an email to yep. production. They clearly stated some of their concerns and their discomforts and things like that. And at least to our knowledge at this point, those concerns were not addressed. Right. And then lo and behold, the next week, something happens. My gut tells me that if that incident with the firearm had not happened, something else would have happened on that set. A crane would have tipped over. uh, A tired crew member would have driven off the road because they were far away from hotel rooms. You know, something else would have happened. So it's it's endemic to that particular set from start to finish there there were issues there were going to be accidents absolutely and that's another thing that i want to try to uh um relate to all crew members you know in general Uh, you know the production and uh the studios like to drive home the fact that uh safety is our is a personal responsibility and I take that to, I mean, yes, this, the studio definitely has responsibility into providing a safe set. But we should also make sure that we are safe personally and our fellow workers. You know, like what happened, you know, on the, uh, the, the, um, the Randy Miller set with the train trestle. Okay, I mean, I'm sorry, but if they told me to go on to a train trestle and there was a train and we didn't know when the train mm-hmm. was coming, I don't think I'd go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, and that's what we need to band together. I mean, uh, and it's so tragic and rust because the whole camera department walked off mm-hmm. that morning of, yeah. if the whole crew had walked, you know, we need to talk with each other more on the set about what's going on with the set safety or, or whatever and band together because we have power in numbers to be able to say, you know what, we're not going to, you know, it's not just, that department that's being affected it's all of us if it's them it's all mm-hmm. of us and we're going to not do this we're, we're, we we demand action i mean i don't know that what would have happened in rust because they just replaced the camera crew mm-hmm. within hours on that show but well but that should have that should have uh set off some alarm bells somewhere back where the money was coming from that that an entire department walked off the set yeah i I think I know what would have happened on the set of Rust, you know, and, and what it is is that the, the people who decided to leave the production would have left and gone got a job on a different production and their conscience would be clear because they 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 stood their ground and right. they did what they believed in. They did it for the right reasons. They had given warnings prior to production. It wasn't like a snap decision. Things had happened 
prior, and those are only the things we know about, right? right? Mm-hmm. There, there could have been many other things that um, occurred. Unfortunately, we, you know, we don't hear every injury that happens on a set somewhere. We only hear something when it's really egregious and it, it gets into the newspapers. Uh, but again, like when I walked off a set the one time I did, I would rather do that and sleep well at night knowing that nobody got hurt on my right. watch than to let something slide on the off chance that, as it were, we get away with it. Mm-hmm. Right, you know? right. I'm um, sorry that my voice isn't, uh, my voice wasn't working earlier, but all of this, you know, all of this is so important. And it and there are other things that I wanted to say um, just about training for the ADs and the DGA and producers and, you know, Everybody needs to be to 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 have gun training, and they've been doing it in New York a little bit. They've been do, giving a few seminars for for the um, DGA, which I think is helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's always just amazed me, you know, as someone who's always dealt with firearms, it amazes me that we have like mandatory training classes in contract services for the prop crew. But the actors that are holding the guns and using them, there's no mandatory training for them. The AD who's supposed to be responsible as a safety officer, there's mm-hmm. no mandatory right. training. Right. They can come and audit the classes. They're allowed to sit in if they want to. Right. But that that happens very rarely. Um, so I, I agree. I think it needs to be a more mandatory thing for all the crew members. Mm-hmm. You know, sound boom operators and... You know, sound mixers that are on the set and and ADs and the PAs. And it seems like the the teachers of those courses seem to be getting better than they were at the very beginning. I remember uh, very early on that the guy saying, this is supposed to be an hour course, and if everybody pays attention and be quiet, we can be out here in 15 minutes. Yeah. And I raised my hand and I said, I don't want to be out of here in 15 minutes. If I have to be responsible for knowing this stuff, teach me this stuff. It, there was a mighty groan went up from everyone else. <laughs> you know, I, I think you're right. I think the level is increasing mm-hmm. and, and improving uh, for sure. Um, one of the reasons is uh, I think that, you know, as the legalities change as far as firearms and equipment on set, as the technicality of the items, I mean, you, using a, you know, a pump-action shotgun is a fairly simple thing that anyone that was a prop master in the old days or whatever mm-hmm. you know they probably went hunting themselves with a with a shotgun like that but nowadays you're dealing with fully automatic weapons they're cooler looking they're in big shoot 'em up shows right the the average prop master might not have the technical knowledge mm-hmm. for that specific gun so the trainings have become more involved more technical uh and things like that plus the the universal reach of our industry we're we're we have prop masters that are la prop masters who have spent more time in georgia in the last five years than back home or new mexico or louisiana and so you have to be knowledgeable about the laws in georgia Mm -hmm. as well and so the level of training increases based on the demand of the students 
for more knowledge and and stuff like that. And that goes back to what Chris said about us sticking together and demanding these these improvements. Jumping back into it, I just want to say that this whole time we've been talking away, and I'm thinking, oh, Diana doesn't have much to say. I wonder what's going on. In the meantime, <laughs> she's in the background, muted, trying to figure, trying to get <laughs> her voice. And so, Diana, please take the floor. Tell, oh, tell, to say. Yes, yes. Tell us, you know, what's your your burning thing that, that well, you've been wanting to say. No, I, I have a few things to say. I think that, but I don't want to be out of order. So no, um, no, you're, it's your turn. The, you know the floor That's is right. yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that I feel strongly about is is actually having an armor on set. You know, I'm always in charge of the guns, the weapons, their props. We talked about that, but I like to have. If I have more than a few guns working, I need an armorer there. I have way too many things to to be paying attention to. I want one person there making sure that the guns are safe, that they are, you know, not left out, put away when they walk away. Like it's, it's, you know, this is a, it's, is a, is a big part of how I organize my, my sets, you know, is to make sure that there's nobody distracted. Like that poor girl who had to be a prop assistant and, a, right. you know, the armor and all that, just, that just, that should not happen anymore. That's one of the things I feel strongly about. Absolutely. I, I agree 100%. I mean, you, again, you have to know your limitations. And, and when, if you're getting outside of one or two weapons, you need more people. And again, the most highly trained person is the right person for the job. Absolutely. That is the crux of it, yes. I knew nothing about guns when I first got into the industry. <laughs> right. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> and let's face it, firearms are a major prop in our industry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Almost yes. 85% of all production has at least one firearm on it. So if you're going to be a prop person, you need to become familiar with firearms because you're going to wind up using them. Correct. Right. And even if it's not a real firearm and it's just an airsoft weapon, you need to know how it's supposed to function and what it's supposed to look like and how you're supposed to handle it and, and you know, for the actor. If Correct. Nothing else. Yeah. Right. I, I was also just going to say... Um, yeah, all of all of that is true. But also, you, we we also treat, you know, replica guns and rubber guns and anything that we ever hand out to anybody as if as if it's a real gun. You know, you just don't you don't take it out of the holster. You never point it at anyone. Like there's there's these different protocols that just you know we just hammer into the heads of everybody the the the, the background folk and and everyone that you this this uh, if it looks like a gun you have to treat it like one and. You know, can never stop doing that either. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how many times have you guys been on shows on sets where you know the background has a gun, and then and you look across the yeah. set, and they're pointing it at somebody, and you run yeah. up to them, you're like, "Dude, what are you doing?" They're like, "Oh, it's just a rubber." And I'm like, "But nobody else knows that." That's right. <laughs> and it's just not good protocol. I mean, it's amazing how when you put a gun in somebody's hands, how irresponsible they become mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's yes. just amazing someone dressed as a cop twirling the gun yeah. how many yeah. times have you seen yeah. that right i mean yeah. i've ejected people from set for doing stuff like that with a rubber gun and, and again it's clearly laid out in safety bulletin number one right and that falls under the rule of no horseplay allowed on set and it, it doesn't matter whether it's a real gun or a rubber gun right and i think it's also interesting there's been so much uh misstatement of when they talk about a lot of times they talk about prop guns not right. realizing that the majority of them are real working firearms even if they don't end up firing in that shot but i think that's an interesting thing that, that they're not they never call them 
guns used as props. Right. Yeah, and it's weird too, right? Because we said they're firearms, they're guns. Guns are props. It's not a prop gun. Mm -hmm. It's a gun that is a prop. We don't call them prop cars or Mm -hmm. prop airplanes. Mm -hmm. But somehow this uh, misnomer has intruded itself. Uh, I, I have this last year with all the dealings we've had with some legislative work we've been assisting with and everything. Most of my effort has been put into standardizing terms making sure that when we're saying something about the firearm that we're using the correct terms universally. Right. And and that also I think will increase knowledge and and professionalism uh on our different television and movie sets. Well and that kind of specificity in any arena is for just sure so useful because you know what someone's talking about, not that it might be this or it might be that. Right. right. And that was the other thing that came up in the um, media coverage, this term cold gun that they keep who's referring heard, who's to. Who's ever heard this, the, someone yell out cold gun? Right. And, and the not fact that once. it means that there's no live ammo in it. No, that's not true. There's no live ammo, yeah. period, anywhere near the set. That's just, you should be fired immediately if I that's I thought that case. was so weird. And, then, and there was so much talk about cold gun. Well, the other thing, the, the, the definition of a cold gun is really a gun that has no bullets in it, not a dummy bullet, not right. a blank, mm. not anything. It's an exactly. empty an empty gun is a cold gun. So, the, yeah. you know, that's already wrong. Yeah, and exactly. Mm. And, and I think that that's what the AD meant when he said that. And he obviously didn't check it. And although he knew that there were rounds mm-hmm. in the gun. Presumably, if he, if he even looked at it before giving it to him, saying it was safe. Right, yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel like he did because the other thing we'd never do, you guys, we don't, during rehearsal, put anything in the gun. Barely mm, right. hand a real gun to an actor during a rehearsal. Yeah, so the fact been. that they thought they were dummy bullets, like they right. shouldn't have been in the gun. 100%. So that's a lot of stuff that nobody's really talking about in the media. Right. Which they also not, found in, in his gun belt there were live rounds. Right, they were everywhere, and that's which it. Which is like crazy. really weird. Why would you... And it it's beyond me because unhit primers are like hen's teeth, you know. I mean, you guard those things because if you, when you need him to do the shot where he's loading the gun, you need an unhit primer, and so you know right. how many of those you have, and you would never use those in a place where they might get hit. And so why not make sure that all of the primers are? Uh, I mean, that that and the BB right. is what tells you that it's a, yes. a non-viable round. Yeah, and why they needed even those around is, is beyond me. Or and, it, you know, where did these blanks come from? Uh, right. Who? Dummy cart. You know, dummy cartridges, not blanks. Yeah, the dummy cartridges. But they came yeah, from a, what I used to be even, a gun store, I believe, that started renting weapons. No, yeah, it, it was it was a local prop business. Right. That that was out there. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is real, really disturbing stuff. Again, if you go back and take the time to read the 500 and yes. some pages of the report, which I've done too many times already, <laughs> I can tell you, um, it paints a picture of there were older dummies that are right. the old style where there was a hole drilled in in the side of it. There were newer ones where they were claiming they were rattling it next to their ears. Okay, which one was it? Right. Or it, was it, it both? It, or was it both? It appears that in the firearm itself that that is the you know, the crux of the matter, there may have been 
four of them with holes, one of them with a BB, and one that didn't quite fit in the gun, and right. the gun had to be cleaned, and then they slipped something else in there. Well, was that checked? I, I, you know, it, it's a very, very convoluted situation that was was going on on that set. Well, did you did you see the statements that just came out there? The statements that just came out from David Halls, the first AD this morning. Like it all contradicts even more to everything for that. Well, uh, yeah, and just like Larry said, when you start reading the uh, report that came from the sheriff's office, the initial reports that came out are completely contradictory to what happened afterwards. Even Alec Baldwin's statements, his first statements, mm-hmm. were that the prop person handed him the gun, and then it switched to it's the AD who handed him the gun. So what really happened? And they have affidavits from every single crew member in that report, and there's so much contradiction in all of those reports that it's like, I don't know what happened, what what really went down. And I think that's the true indication of what was going on on the set. Yeah. Again, whether it was the firearm that created an incident or something else that later on would have created an right. incident. Th- this was the recipe, f- unfortunately, I hate to use this term, but it was a recipe for disaster, and it lived up to you know to its name. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think it all goes back down to this notion of it being the Wild West out there. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of that in the film industry to begin with. You know, this notion, you know, that the cinematic immunity idea <laughs> that, you know, that we're above, um, you know, law rules because we're making make believe or whatever. But um, uh, again, reading a lot of the reports of what happened there, it seemed like there were they were playing it very loose mm-hmm. with dummy rounds and blanks coming and going from different sources and coming off of one movie set and going on to another one. And, uh, again, uh, I mean, that's what I really, I want to get into the final thing that we talk about here is where do we move forward from all of this? How do we make it better? Okay. It's not about banning guns. That's not the answer. Right. The, you know, it, it, what, how do we, you know, what do we do now? Or where do we, what do we learn from all of this? Well, I I think, you know, again, and this is going back to the original question about the media getting stuff wrong. Right. The general public doesn't get to be on a movie set, so they don't mm-hmm. they don't really understand or know wh- what's going on. A, a movie set is like the flight deck of an aircraft carrier. It is a very pressurized environment. There are a lot of moving parts, a lot of different departments. And if one person doesn't do their job correctly, it can lead to a series of disasters, you know. Um, And when we look at our military and the people that are on that flight deck, you know, they're the best of the best. Right. And I think what, what we do and what we should enforce moving forward is... As, as you pose in the question, the, the single most important thing that we can do moving forward is not settle for mediocrity. Right. I, mm-hmm. I have worked um, over the last 25 years with some of the most talented, uh, as we all have, and some of them are sitting in this room and, and, and in New York that are on this call as well. And there are just amazingly talented people in this industry. And then there's this, this other version of... I just need a body and 95% of your paycheck is just showing up on time. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that that's wrong. And that is a, a philosophy or, or a point of view or a concept that we need to change. If, if that person isn't up to snuff, they shouldn't be here because this is the operations deck of an aircraft carrier. 
And and that's the way we need to look at it. And then how do we do that? It, it's better training, better education, better vetting processes and things like that so that anyone on set, be it the gaffers or the electricians or the construction people or the armorers, you walk onto set knowing you will only be working with the very best of the best. Right. And also, I think part of that is management taking complaints more seriously uh, just because you, I mean, I've done that on shows where there was something was weird. There was a doorway blocked or something, and I would bring it up to someone, and it kind of like, you know, come on, we got bigger things to worry about. Right. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think w what I what I stated, I meant it as from top to bottom. If you have a bad producer, we shouldn't have a bad producer that doesn't pay attention to complaints or, or things like that. Uh, I've never met Mr. Halls, but in the reports and some of the media and everything, it's it's being portrayed that maybe he had had issues in the past on other right. you know he had a reputation sure we don't want to work with people like that that have a reputation like that so it's incumbent upon all of us to speak out so that we can weed out those those bad apples right and and i agree and in a perfect world that is how it should be and you and i we all know that we're all professionals but we also know that the film industry is you know it's seductive it's very lucrative for people people just want to make money you know these you know these producers they put they hamstring these productions together and they cut corners wherever they can so how do we prevent that from happening from trickling down into safety issues i mean is there something that we can do you know as a, a union and as, as an industry to again make i mean how do you guys feel about property masters and armors having to be certified i think that there's no reason not to do that that's a great idea i mm. mean i think i think Absolutely. Yeah, so you can't hire somebody who hasn't been certified in weapons training. Yeah. yeah. You don't let you don't let somebody drive a car without a license. Absolutely. You know, you know, on a set. So, yes, that I think that's Yeah, that, that's that's, imperative. that's the analogy that I've been using is that you wouldn't hire a private pilot a, a kid mm -hmm. with a private pilot's license to fly a 747. Yeah. Okay, it's going to end in a disaster. So, yeah, and everybody everybody benefits. There's getting gun training. Like I, we just did it today with my um, with my crew for my next job. We just went and had a refresher. Oh, very cool. great. Which was really great. But it's um, it's something people should want to do. You know, I mean, there there is a seduction with a weapon anyway. So right. But making it mandatory is 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 important. But I also think it should be mandatory for ads. Like I think it needs to go into the DGA and and all of that. And the other thing I think is when, um, like, I'm not afraid to say, no, I'm not doing this. You know, none of us are. And obviously there are kids that are more afraid. We have to, we have to bring that into the training and say, dudes, this is going to happen. You guys are going to be nervous, but this is what you do. Right. If this situation happens to you, you just say, no, you take your guns and you go home and you have recourse now because you have social media. You can just post all over the place saying, this is what happened to me. This producer did this. Right. And I said no because of, you know, because it wasn't safe. And that person will be the the one who is, you know, you know, raised up and the and the and the 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 not safe situation that's created by productions or producers, they'll be the one that will be vilified. And that's something that we have to also 
sort of address, I think. No, I, I, I agree 100%. And, and because of social media, we do have this opportunity now, like the, the Union Property Masters Facebook page has been so helpful oh, yeah. in so many ways. So, so you know, for younger uh, mm -hmm. uh, property masters, you know, just resourcing things. But again, you know, in uh, Cruise Stories is another great one where people could talk about and commiserate with what they're experiencing and embolden each other to, you know, stand strong. You know, because, again, it is, uh, I mean, it's part and parcel to what we do. I mean, how many times, you know, we start a show and you're doing, you know, all of a sudden uh, the it's uh, about a, a brain surgeon. We don't know anything about brain surgery, but all of a sudden, you know, we have to do a lot of research all of us to, to get ourselves up to that point. So I think it's the same thing, especially with a firearm, because it is so consequential that, you know, if you're going to be a property master in this business, you have to do the work. You have to. That's always been one of my very favorite things about this job is every single show I've ever done, at the beginning of the show, there was some big part of the show that I knew nothing about. Right. And by the end of the show, you know it forwards and backwards and know all of the interesting, weird history of it. And Absolutely. That, that always just such an interesting thing. How do you cert go about certifying a course for the industry, though, like that? I feel so, like that's so, complicated, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so let's be honest here. Um, you know, Diana's in New York, right. and the American film industry began in New York. Mm -hmm. And we're out here in California, and the industry kind of blossomed in California. And it used to be for a long time that New York and California, those were the two places where, mm -hmm. where the industry filmed. Now it's everywhere. Right. Right. New Mexico, Georgia, Louisiana, Pittsburgh. I spent six weeks in Baltimore, right. you know, just recently. Mm -hmm. And so it has become a much more national event or, or occupation. And I think to your point earlier, Chris, about us individually all taking responsibility for ourselves and everything, we have to admit that the Rust incident put a spotlight on a weakness in our industry, which was there was no national standard right. for armors. Right. It just didn't exist. Yeah. Um, that's currently being worked on. Yeah. Uh, to, to change that. But at the same time, I just, you know, the idea of, oh, oh we're going to make it all, someone's got to be certified. I can point out, you know, Diana mentioned about you don't let someone drive a car without a license. I know a lot of people with licenses that shouldn't be driving cars. No. <laughs> and, let yeah. me, you know, I mean, let's, I'm not trying to be funny about that. I mean, no, let's absolutely. be honest here. So it goes back to what I said earlier about not accepting accepting mediocrity yes the the the, sta the national standard that we're endeavoring to create has to be created organically from within the industry we're not talking about gun coaches that teach ccw classes all of a sudden well well i'm a safety instructor i can teach them in hollywood everything they need to know it, that will never work and we have to make sure that the people that are in charge put in charge of that instruction are the very best of the best yes. and not accept anything less than that. And and that's how we move forward. Right, because what it's like, how I learned and got in, I mean, it was very, like, I had no idea where to find this stuff. And my first experiences with any types of gun, like, I, I got my EFP first, and that was just as working as an assist. So when we did bring in an armor, I could do nothing but sit with them and load magazines. And that was my first experiences with any guns and I just loaded all different types of magazines and just asked questions in between. And after a little while, like I 
just asked so many questions around people. It was like, where can I learn? Where can I learn? Where can I learn? And I found some ex-cop that did, a f- like, has worked a little bit on set that would teach me two, two-day, eight-hour classes each day courses. And that was through a lot of digging to find that out. So, and this is recent. Like, I'm, I'm pretty, this is within a few years ago. <laughs> we work in a tough industry. It's very tough to get into. Right. It's very tough to learn about, and the majority you, know, you can go to a film school and you can learn how to be a director and learn about camera mm-hmm. lenses, right. but you don't learn about how to be a gaffer or how to do construction or how to be a prop master. Most of that stuff is on-the-job training, Correct. and you advance incrementally, like like you said, Mike. You 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 get into the industry and you're doing nothing but. You know, being the third broom on a prop crew, right. collect you know, cleaning up the set or whatever. Yeah. And if you have an affinity for firearms and you want to learn more about your profession, you go out and you get an EFP and you help the professional armorer who comes on. That is currently the only way we can even train new armorers. Right. You know, ten years from now, you've done how many gun shows or whatever. And if we're looking for another full-time armorer, I might say, hey, you know, I went out on, on set with that Mikey guy and he was he was helping me and really seemed to know what he was doing and everything. And then we would contact you and say, hey, do you want to take the next step? You know, do you want to do nothing but specialize in firearms? Right. And, right. and fortunately or unfortunately in our industry, that's the way so many uh, people advance in their profession. Yeah, and speaking of that, can you speak, Larry, to the difference between a federal firearms license and, in, and what an EFP, what that is? And sure. So um, I think it was maybe Eugene had mentioned it, or maybe it was Mikey. But we got to remember, these guns are real guns. We're using them on a movie set to put blanks in them and use them for television and movies, but they are real firearms. And real firearms have a legal consequence connected to them. There are licenses involved. It doesn't matter that they're being used on a movie set. Um, After the Rust incident, there's been this rash of, well, we're going to rent that gun, but remove the firing pin because then it's not a gun. Well, then it won't fire. (laughs) But as far as the federal federal authorities go, it's still a gun. You You can't ungun a gun there there is a process called dewadding but it but it's very very involved but if you just remove a firing pin or you just put a plug in a barrel it is still a legal firearm and so the number one permit or license that people think about is the FFL the federal firearms license um you can't open a gun store without possessing an FFL you can't run a firearms manufacturer without possessing an FFL. Uh, In individual states, there are also state rules. In California, one permit that was developed was called an EFP, an Entertainment Firearm Permit. This allowed within the state of California a prop master or assistant to be able to handle and possess what we call Title I guns, the simple stuff, a revolver, a lever-action rifle, a pump-action shotgun. Right. Even if you possess an EFP and you, you're on a show where you need machine guns, right. you still need to bring in an armorer who has a different level of permits. In California, they're called DWPs, the Dangerous Weapons Permits. Um, states like Massachusetts, 
to go film in Boston. I would actually have to send, you know, I, I, let's say I'm going myself to Massachusetts to film as an armor on a show. Been doing it 25 years. I've got an EFP. I've got dangerous weapons permits. I've got law enforcement and military experience and all that. They have a specialty permit in Boston. If you're going to be on a street corner, on a film set, with something that looks like a firearm, you need the Boston permit. So I'd have to fly to Boston three or four weeks ahead of time, do all the paperwork, meet all their requirements and everything in order to be legal in Boston with that. It is as professionals, professional prop people, our responsibility to find out what those regulations are. How does it differ in Boston than it is in Hawaii? What do you do with firearms when you're doing an export because you're filming in Morocco? What are the legal consequences of all of those things? So there are a lot of states that don't have any kind of permitting. Uh, they haven't had a lot of filming there. They've never examined it. Um, they might say, okay, we, we don't have an EFP in fill in the blank, whatever state it is, but if you're going to do this, get a CCW, a concealed carry permit, because if you do that, it proves that you've had a background search, and then at least you're legally able to, you know, possess that, that firearm. So just like a locations guy or gal will have to go from state to state and learn what the requirements are in that particular state, we ha if we know we're going to a different state or a different country with those guns, you need to find out what the correct permit is. California, it's the EFP and the dangerous weapons permits. Other states, it's other things. They all usually revolve around an FFL. The, the, the federal firearms license usually licenses the company entity and the individual state permits permit the individual by name. That's by and large how it how it breaks down. And then was was another part of the EFP to get around the waiting period as renting a gun was like was considered buying a gun? And so that you d remember the, when the two-week waiting period came in, and so that if you all of a sudden needed a gun, you couldn't go down and get it. Right. So production, uh, what, what Eugene is, is talking about is, you know, there are federal waiting periods. You know, you can't just go into a store and just buy a gun, you know, at least not in California. Um, and that doesn't work well with production schedules. Right. You know, <laughs> and um, so the EFP, uh, it was not created – to get around the no, waiting to, period to it was it was to facilitate that and so what that is is it's almost think of it as a california specific ffl it means that the the prop master or prop assistant who possesses that permit has gone through a background check and the permit needs to be renewed every year and if that particular person had something that happened in their private life outside of the movie industry that caused the state to repeal that permit, we would know about it. And then they can no longer come in, you know, because they have to present that permit and everything. Um, so it, it's a way to facilitate making sure that the firearms are only in the hands of qualified or at least legally able to possess those guns kind of people now you go to another state and there's no permit of any kind and you can just hey i'm an armorer because i play call of duty all the time <laughs> and, and you get hired by a production because they want to cut corners and save money 
that's where we create a problem. So if we codify that, no, it doesn't matter what state you're in. Here's a, an example that I'll use is the contract services program. Here's an example of what it needs to be, and everybody must follow this. I think that's the best starting point, at least, um, you know, for creating a national standard um, and, and just making our, our sets safer. Right, and I think it's important, too, for people who are in the, in the industry to know that um, and understand that these weapons that we use uh, in as property masters, we don't own them. We, you know, they, they all come from a prop house or a, uh, yeah, pretty much a prop house who has all the licenses. So it's not like, you know, you could be a prop master in, you know, Des Moines or something and have an arsenal of weapons that you use, right? I mean, they're all regulated. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say back in the old days, you know, if you were a good prop master, you had sunglasses and wristwatches and all kinds of other common items in your kit and you know in a pinch oh grab out of the third drawer from the left a police badge that sure you know, because right. they, they they surprise you with something and i think a lot of prop masters individually owned firearms they might have an old revolver in their kit and they legally owned them but they own them as an individual. They weren't being rented from a business that has liability insurance, that has gunsmiths that maintain the firearms and things like that. I think that's pretty much gone away with, with current legalities and everything. My recommendation to a prop person is if you're you're on a job and it's like, well, Billy Bob has a shotgun and we're just going to use Billy Bob's shotgun. <laughs> My recommendation is no. Yeah, no, yeah, that, yeah. that is a bad road to go down. And it, it will either, you know, the gun may not function correctly exactly. for the show, or maybe Billy Bob doesn't take care of his guns correctly, and something bad happens when you load a blank into it. So deal, you become professional by dealing with professional people, you know. Yeah, so. and, and, I mean, I personally never owned any firearms on my property. I have a ton of replicas and rubbers and stuff like that which and airsoft guns we use all those but i i think it's a i think it would be bad form to have your own gun and not you know be an armorer yeah one thing one thing i really want to point out um and and this was happening even before the rust incident it it has accelerated since then but this idea that well if we just use airsoft guns somehow we're safer that is a flawed philosophy an, an airsoft gun is a pellet gun, a fully functional pellet gun. We put the green gas in it specifically so we can see the slide moving. That means it's operational. And I could load a pellet into that operational pellet gun and shoot you in the eye with it. Right. And that would be a bad day on set for many, many people. In fact, if I loaded 20 pellets into it and pressed it right up against your jugular... I'm not sure that eventually we wouldn't be breaking skin and possibly damaging your jugular. We as prop professionals, we don't go out with a gun, a rubber, or a replica. We walk onto set, or at least this is the way it should be. We walk onto set with a big bag of tricks. Right. We have a lot of them. Right. And we use the correct trick for the correct scene. In this particular scene, an airsoft will work. In the next one, it's a real gun firing blanks. There is no single answer for all of the things that we have to deal with on set. So just keep that in mind. Well, and I'm, 
I the airsoft guns that I have on my truck, I've taken the springs out, right? And that will make it that makes it. It's safer, a replica correct? at that right. point. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. know, okay, it's just so a replica. You can't get idea. any access. Yeah, <laughs> it's a really good idea. Yeah, anybody yeah. who's got an airsoft out there, take the spring out, and yeah. <laughs> you're you're much closer to being safe. We, we've we've <laughs> we've had incidences where some crews were using airsoft guns as one of the tricks, even in their bag of tricks, and because you have to load them or charge them with the, the green, green gas, gas. Right. and you're working, you know, in Death Valley or out in New Mexico, and the temperature exceeds a certain point and they rupture yeah. yeah you know what i don't want anyone getting hurt like they of explode a, like explode Whoa. i don't do, do you know what green gas is i know i don't know specifically what is green gas green it's gas like co2 isn't it what do you think i don't know I've i thought it was co2 it's co2 i thought it was co2, CO2. Yeah. everybody thinks it's co2 green gas is 99 percent propane Really? It's mixed with a lubricant. It's like one or two percent, like a lubricant, like an oil, so that it runs the seals correctly. But green gas is propane, wow. which is flammable. So, so that's now, what I say. So if you put a lighter in front of it and blast yeah. it, a f- so really? if you have a p- airsoft gun that you think is safer than a blank firing gun, and you have an open flame on set, and you're pulling the trigger and you're going. Propane, 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 <laughs> propane. What do you think is going to happen mm. when there's enough propane and mm. that open flame yeah. is around? Is that because it compresses favorably? I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know the, the chemical and or the mechanical reason for that. You'd have to talk to an airsoft manufacturer about because that. They do have CO, like the ones where you put the little CO2 cartridges. Right, like a BB gun. Right, absolutely. Right, right, right. Yeah. absolutely. And that's just straight CO2, right? That is correct. That yeah. is CO2. So, like you said, it must be something about lubrication. It could be lubrication. It could be manufacturing. It may be more expensive to manufacture something that can take the CO2 cartridges. It's hard to manufacture the CO2 CO2 cartridges. cartridges, Yeah, where you can just keep refilling. Yeah, but, I mean, whenever whenever you see something on a prop truck, like an aerosol can or or any kind of property— that you cannot overnight FedEx. (laughs) This, in police work, is what we used to call a clue. That that maybe this kind of thing has some hazards that go along with it. So, again, I I really want to stress that, and I believe that myself deeply. There is no one single prop that can replace everything. You can be as safe as you want to be. You can use rubbers when they're the correct thing to use. But there is a place for real guns, firing blanks. We've been doing this for over 100 years. It is part of our craft. And to let our craft be diminished, not just for the viewer, but but for our craft itself, by saying, we're just going to outlaw all guns. I think that is a faulty approach. Uh, totally, and I agree. And I've had I had this experience on the show that I just finished, where um, again it was after the rust incident, and my DP was um, directing, and we had a scene where the actor, um, the character, had uh, committed suicide, and all he needed was a shotgun laying at his feet, not firing, no nothing at all, just there, and he told me he said i don't want any real guns on my set because that's just a thing that you know I, i'm committed to not ever using any real guns and i said to him I said, well, I, you know and i was very respectful i said i understand where you're coming from i get it 100 percent i said and i will show you replica 
shotguns? I said, but sometimes the best weapon is a real weapon. Okay, and what I'm trying to tell you is, is that I can guarantee you 100% that we could use a real weapon without any incident at all because there are protocols that are in place. And if we follow them, and when we follow them, there's zero risk of there being a catastrophic accident, especially if there's nothing, no blanks or anything available. And I was able to convince him that, you know, because I, you know, I said, you know, we want the best of what we could get. Okay, so yeah, you could use a replica, and it's completely up to you if you want to do that. That's your prerogative. But I'm telling you that the real weapon will look better. So if we're after the best that we can get, then I suggest that we use this, and he fortunately agreed to do it. And and, and I think that's wonderful. And, And I think we also need to really remember one other point for our craft, for our industry, at a certain level, this isn't about firearms. It's a First Amendment right. If I, as a creative person, am not being allowed to use the props or tell the stories that I want to tell, that is a First Amendment right. I am I am being restricted. And if we say, no more guns ever, we're just going to outlaw them, and we let that happen, then tomorrow, when a stunt goes wrong with a red car we outlaw all red cars on set. We outlaw pocket knives. We outlaw, you know what I mean? So it truly is kind of a, a universal question. It's not just about, oh, guns were evil. We have people die in stunts, unfortunately. It's just a mechanism. It's just a mechanism, you know, and exactly. if you follow, a go- I hate to say this again, but if you go back to safety bullet number one and you follow the protocol, you can do these very, very unique and special things that we do in our industry and do it safely. I guarantee you that Ford, when you buy a new Ford F-150, there's nothing in that manual that tells you how to flip that car over right. when you're doing a stunt on a movie set. But we do it every day, and we do it safely, right? Mm-hmm. The firearm is exactly the same thing. I mean, the cars scare the shit out of me way more than absolutely. <laughs> a firearm on set. Yeah, Three absolutely. tons of metal coming at mm-hmm. you, oh you know, God. The un- wires uncontrolled. You hear yeah. Go, <laughs> and you're like, oh my God. Exactly. It's <laughs> terrifying. I, I will, I'll share one experience, if you don't mind, uh, and it's got nothing to do with firearms. Sure. Uh, but it does have to do with safety. I was on a movie set as the armor. And there was, it was a big shoot em up and one of the sequences was that a, a pickup truck impacted a pile of 55-gallon drums of gasoline and a big fireball goes off and everything. And the um, special effects coordinator came and said, okay, this is how we're going to set up the shot. Everybody's got to be this many yards away. Well, can't we be here? Can't we be? No. It's whatever that safety mm-hmm. distance was. And I guess with vehicles, I learned that day, when you do explosions, the number one thing that can happen is the doors get blown off. Right. And now those mm. are projectiles that go <laughs> flying through the through the air. And so they wire down the doors. They, they can swing open, but they can't go flying anywhere. And there were some people that were like, I don't want to say arguing, but they were complaining about, well, can't we be closer? And, and, and all. No, you, you can't. And... They did the stunt. The door was wired, but it actually broke the wire. Sure. And it was like a scene out of Lord of the Rings when they're standing there and they're watching the huge <laughs> boulder come flying. <laughs> and that door 
impacted the ground maybe seven yards from where everybody was standing. And you know what? After that, when the special effects coordinator said, no, nobody can be here, everybody moved aside. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, we, we need to we, we get hired as professionals by production. They need to listen to us. Otherwise, why are we there? You know, that's true. Which back to the rust thing real quick is the one thing that we haven't really mentioned, which I'm kind of curious with all of your thoughts is if there was somebody to blame, would you guys point the finger at any one person? With all the, like, because there's what? There's a trials going on right now. Sure. And then they're talking about the first AD. Like, he already right. wrote off his, he already's done with all of his stuff because he jumped in early. And, and now it's between, what, Alec Baldwin and Hannah Gutierrez. Right. Well, I personally think that there are a lot of people who have culpability in it. But I think that the narrative that's out there right now has it in reverse. They're starting with the actor, and then they're going to the AD, and then they're ending up with the armor. And then the producers aren't even in the equation. Okay, I think it's the opposite. Right. I think it starts with production, hiring the proper people, including the first AD, and then the fundamental breakdown happened from there on down. I, I have a problem with with an, with the answer to that question. Um, I do firmly believe that production is the employer. And is the employer's responsibility to guarantee a safe working environment for the cast and crew, for the employees, and that and that's all of us. At the same time, my own personal feelings or philosophy or whatever you want to call it is, is if someone's hiring me to, and I hate to use the word expert, but, but it's used in our industry. If someone's yeah. hiring me as the gun expert, then every single thing that happens with that firearm is on me. And and period. That's that's yeah, just the that's, that's just the way it is. And I think any professional, regardless of the field, whether it's the special effects guy or the prop master or the armor or the camera operator, that's the mentality that you have to have, so that, like we mentioned before, we only wind up with the cream of the crop, you know, no matter what department it is. I mean. If an actor dropped a firearm that I gave them and it hit their toe and it broke their little toe, which is no, I mean, it's uncomfortable, but no yeah. great tragedy. I would feel horrible personally right. because right. I would feel, did I not show them how to hold it well enough right. or something? If I walk onto set, every single thing involving that firearm, whether it's technical advice or using the right nomenclature or actor training or safety, me personally, I feel it's on me. Okay, Diana, what's your thoughts? Um, I I have to agree. It's it's funny. I don't. I'm not very comfortable speculating on this particular uh, situation. Sure. But I I, you know, I believe like Larry does that the armorer and the prop person is responsible ultimately because that is actually how I always feel, and um, you know, I mean. The, really, the buck stops with with us, sadly. But exactly, that's how I feel. Yeah, Eugene. I, <laughs> uh, I hate to say this, but I really I think it's the property master. Yeah, which the person that hasn't been mentioned the, the most. Yeah, yeah, the person who is whose whose name shall not be spoken. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, but I do. I well. I, 
I, I think I agree with you. If the prop master is taking the part of the armorer that day because right. he or she as prop master is operating a single gun, then really they're the armorer too. But but well, my thought is is that it that if if we accept that the the armorer works under the supervision and at the direction of the property master, sure, she must have seen those guns being unsecured and handled poorly and all of these other things and so right. that to me blame but my points qu- it to her my question about that is does she know any better yeah well okay that's, and that's what it where it mm-hmm. goes back to the producers it's like you're hiring people to do a job that they have no clue about how to do it i i agree and in that case then i guess it goes back to the the above the lines well, again, I think that that's but, where it starts because mm-hmm. if they did their due diligence and they hired Neil Zormansky or any number of other property mm-hmm. masters who interviewed for that job uh, and, and listened to what they said about the safety of how many people they and needed the, on that show, right. this wouldn't have happened. And, and let's not forget that you know we're we're sitting around here, kind of as, as Diana pointed out, kind of speculating and, right. and hypothesizing and, and all that. But legally, regardless of what we think, legally, the producers are the employers. They are responsible for creating a safe work environment on set. And the way you do that is by hiring professionals who are capable and qualified to do that particular job. What we talked about earlier about having a national standard for actually like vetting right. different positions where it, it doesn't matter whose son or daughter right, or uncle right. or brother you are. Can you actually show proof that you have the knowledge and experience to do what is being done? And and let's face it, in in a perfect world, maybe that particular person had the knowledge and experience to do the job, but was being overwhelmed by the demands of production. Right. Again, it goes back to so that either way, either someone didn't put their foot down and say, no, we can't do it that way. Right. Someone did not create right. the safe environment right. by vetting and hiring the right people. We said before, these things don't occur because of one incident Correct. or one person. It's usually a series of yes. missteps that ultimately lead to a particular problem. I mean, what do, what do you think? When, when the Challenger launched and there were engineers that were saying, if the temperature is below a certain temperature, the O-rings shrink to the point where it could be dangerous. But the decision was made to launch anyway, right. even though we saw the temperature drop. Who's one person is responsible for that? I don't, I don't know. You know, you, you have the people that made the decision to go anyway. Did someone put their foot down and say, but we're not going to let that happen? You know, it, it, it's never just one individual. Mm-hmm, right. And and unfortunately, I think you had mentioned it before, uh, Chris, on the set of Rust, there was so much blame to go around of so many things that There's were not bad behavior. In at every at least yeah. at least by what we can tell from the media and the police report. We weren't there. Right. Also, I think we're forgetting the uh, New Mexico environmental report, which is kind of like Cal OSHA. That's another report that came out, and the production was fined $137,000, not because they thought the value of that fine was correct, but because that was the absolute maximum they could be fined under New Mexico law. For the rust situation? For the rust situation. Uh, there's an, ele- there's the- an 11-page uh, occupational safety 
a report that came out prior to the police report where the production was specifically pointed out as being negligent and not following procedures and not doing the things that they were responsible for. And, of course, they're fighting that fine. But <laughs> wow. this is just another example of multiple things going wrong along the way. So we weren't there. We don't know. We can only right. know by reading these reports. But it seems like that was a set in chaos. Yeah. 100%. All right. Well, Diana, anything, any final thoughts? Um, you know, the, the, the only thing that I, that I did want to mention was, um, you know, we just also have to instill in people in the environment of the set with all the departments that if, if you don't know the answer, if you don't know something, if you don't know something is safe, if you're not sure, ask, you know, ask a professional. It's like, don't be afraid to admit that you're not sure about whatever stunt is happening or whatever, you know, whatever the action is with the firearm or all of that. I feel like more and more we need to, to, you know, try and instill that in, in everybody on a film set just so that everybody's responsible for the safety and, and, you know, taking care of their own, you know, ignorance about something and being not afraid to address it. And that's, something that you know i think we should instill in our youngsters for sure absolutely yeah I, I like to point out when we when i'm doing a safety brief on a movie set about an upcoming gunfire sequence i always tell everyone i'm here watching over this and all that but don't assume that the shooter or the armor that's or prop master that's standing there sees something you might be seeing some other safety hazard that's outside their their line of vision at that particular point. So don't just rely on them. If you see something, speak up. Every everybody is a safety officer when you're on set. Absolutely. Yeah. Eugene, anything else? No, I got nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have one last thought. I yes, just want to throw this do. in, and I usually end uh, most of our discussions this way. To anyone who's listening to this podcast, right? Because right. we want Everyone. all walks of life to be <laughs> listening to this. First of all, we are professionals. The media has painted us in a pretty bad spot right now. <laughs> but the people who do this at a very high level are professionals. And you should go to the movies. Thank God movie theaters didn't die. We seem to have survived the pandemic, right? Because there was right. a moment there where you might not have ever been able to go to a movie theater sure. anymore, but we're coming out of that. But sit and watch the credits till the end of the credit roll, not because there's going to be some after credit scene that might be cool, but because prop masters, armors, directors, producers, people have spent years of their lives away from their families, blood, sweat, tears, missed birthdays, missed anniversaries, and all that to bring you entertainment. And you might actually start recognizing some of the names and realizing that, wow, any movie that that DP worked on is a movie that I think is one of my favorite movies. Right. You know, And they deserve, you know, the actors, we can't do it without the actors, of course, but they seem to get all of the, the attention. Right. But the crew that actually works hard and, and helps create that movie donates a lot, are also very creative people, and I think they all deserve the recognition as being 
part of the people that made that movie happen. So, you know, stay to the end, read the credits, and, uh, yeah. Go. Uh, the, the, the first show I ever did, I was craft service on a uh, movie of the week. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Mickey Rooney was in it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was 22 years old. And on the last day of the show, we were shooting in an old uh, uh, shutdown school, and uh, it was called Bill. It was about this guy who was uh, intellectually challenged, and he had a coffee shop in the school, and, and it was a true story. And uh, as I was walking out, carrying my craft service stuff out on the last day, I looked, and I passed this classroom, and he was in there, just sitting there, and I... I don't know what came over me, but I went in and I said, Mr. Rooney? And he said, yes. And I said, I just I wanted to tell you what a pleasure it's been to work with you. And uh, this is my first show I've ever done. And it's just really, really exciting. And he goes, this is the first show you've ever done. And I said, yes. He goes, no, you've never done anything like this before. And I said, no. And he goes, kid, let me tell you. You are going to have the most wonderful life. You're going to travel oh. all over the world. <laughs> You're going to meet the most talented people in the world and work with them and do all of this stuff. And he said, just hang in there. And, it, and he was absolutely right. Right. And so I, I would, that en- enough. I would encourage yeah. any, anybody who is young and thinking about or interested in getting into show business, do it. It'll, it's extraordinarily difficult. Yes. Uh, and it's very unfair but it's, <laughs> a whole lot of times. Yeah. But it but is very rewarding. It is a spectacular thing to do for a living. Yeah. It, it, it's it really wonderful. is wonderful. I mean, absolutely I, great. Yeah, I feel blessed to have had the experience I had. But there is a cost that comes with it, absolutely for sure. And it is not for everybody. Okay, I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's. Uh, uh, I mean, It'll definitely be more work than you think it's going to be. One hundred percent. Prepare yourself because it, 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 we don't live the life of the actors, and even the actors, you know, work really hard. Okay, I mean, for all Absolutely. the glory that they get, you know, it is a it is a, a drudgery. I mean, you know, filmmaking to me, I always like liken it to war. And Larry, having been involved, you, other than the fact that somebody's trying to kill you, except like in a bad production, but. There's a camaraderie that happens on a film set, okay, Uh with because it takes, like Larry says, it's so many people working at the top of their game to get the job done. And if any one of those people falter, the whole production falters. And it's it is it's that that camaraderie and the being. I just always loved being a little tiny cog in this big giant machine, but knowing that. If, if my cog wasn't there, it wouldn't run. It's a collaborative effort. Absolutely. Yeah. Eugene, I'm glad you said that, too, because I feel like I don't hear that enough today. It's, uh, I always lot, encourage like, everybody I, to yeah, get into show and business. <laughs> I, I feel the same way because I hear a lot of people that have been in the industry for a long time and they're miserable. I mean, granted, I'm the new guy. I've only been in 13, 14 years. But to hear a lot of older folks tell me, like oh like you're gonna waste your life on it you're gonna waste your marriage on it <laughs> like it, that's me and my wife like my wife is my 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 shopper and and we work together all the time and Fantastic. that's we met we met ten years ago at eleven years ago on set and we've been working yeah. together <laughs> ever since and we we love working on the sets together and that is our family and we have so much fun to doing it and like. I love to play with the toys. I like to right. learn absolutely every single little thing about what we're using and what it's for and the functionality, weapons and guns included, which is, right. like like I said before I got in, I never, 
I've never fired a gun before I was working in props. And now um, I'm a gun owner. I've, I've gone to countless ranges. I've taken multiple safety classes, and I will keep taking them as more people I trust and know are willing to show me. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I love every aspect around it and as much about being on set with that family and being able to share that with them, in turn, sharing it with the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, my kids are older now. My, my son's 29 and my, my daughter's 24. But when I was when they were younger, they always wanted to see the movie the dad worked on, yeah. right? <laughs> and so at some point, you're taking the kids out, and you're probably taking some of their friends out yeah. and everything. And yeah, you may have missed their birthday because <laughs> you were making the film. But when you sit with an audience and they, you watch them and you go, you know, they're laughing, they're crying, they're throwing popcorn at the screen and all that kind of stuff. And you're just sitting watching that. It's like, as a prop person, you had a little bit to do with that. Right. You're not the actor that's getting a lot of the recognition and everything. And that's why I say read the credit role because these other people deserve the recognition, but it's like you made someone laugh. You yeah. you yep. made their day better. One hundred percent. You know that's that's a pretty amazing thing, and that is something special we get to do in in our business. And having said that, you know, stay tuned because we're going to be doing a lot more podcasts where we're going to get into the nitty gritty of you know set life and all of that as oh well. <laughs> so. Um, and you know, I mean, again, all of us property masters, we have a thousand stories to tell that are fascinating. So, um, you know, this was a more serious subject that we felt that we needed to address because it wasn't really being addressed properly out there in the world. And, uh, uh I felt that, or we, as the guild felt that it was important that we go a, a little bit deeper about what's going on with this, but moving forward, prop talk, uh, there's going to be a lot more fun uh, conversations to be had so uh, again i want to thank everybody for coming out today and doing this it's been great yeah, it's uh, been it's very everything enjoyable. that i hoped it would be yeah and mikey thank you again for hosting us here yeah um, thanks for inviting me to the table it was really amazing to be in the ro room with uh, so many i mean half you guys are my heroes and i mean the sopranos <laughs> jesus i know right <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. I hate to tell you that, but we use non-guns almost exclusively on the Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> but really, the show wasn't about Excellent. guns, so I guess we could just look at it like that. But, <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, but that was, was fun. It's also fantastic. really nice, you guys. It's nice that sometimes we even have an opportunity to to do to take jobs that we know our family will will want to see. You know, it's like. Do, you know, it's like, oh, I did Ninja Turtles for, you know, all my nieces and nephews. Or, you know, we have that, uh, that opportunity, just like you said. So. And, and me. I am still <laughs> jealous that you worked on, on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I have to tell you. Yeah, right. So and Eugene with Austin Powers. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Those were wow. fun. Those were fun. Fun, fun movies to make. Yeah, so, I mean, that's just the point right there. Some of my favorite content ever growing up. I mean, half of you guys are in the room, so I look up to you guys. So anytime I get an opportunity to sit down and be able to have a voice in the conversation, Absolutely. I'll take it any day of the week. <laughs> Excellent. Great. So, uh, again, I'll leave with uh, um, you know, tr directing everybody to the propertymastersguild.org to uh, check out everything that we're up to. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you, guys.